Show Me the Science with Professor Luke O'Neill. Proudly sponsored by B. Braun, a world-leading provider of healthcare solutions. Hello, I'm Luke O'Neill and welcome to Show Me the Science, my weekly podcast. And big news, actually now, of course, I try to make things up to date as possible. And that's the great thing about science, to be honest, it keeps on giving because new stuff keeps being discovered and this can be in every branch of science in fact i think i became a scientist because i need new things Uh, i need need a new gift every morning open it up and they're nice and shiny this week's gift is a very important one though because um recently they've approved a drug for alzheimer's disease the u.s government health officials have approved the first new drug for alzheimer's disease for nearly 20 years that headline grabs your attention immediately doesn't it and you go wow and I knew all about this drug. I'd been watching it, and it's well known, actually, in in in, um, in medical research and so on, that this was going on. And then when I saw the headline, I went, "Oh, great!" Regulators say the drug is the first treatment that t- targets the causes of the disease rather than its symptoms. But the approval is controversial, with some experts. Trouble is, you dig into it a bit, and it's good. Um, there's some evidence this drug might help a bit, uh, but there's evidence that it mightn't, and it's a bit controversial, as I'd explain. But still. There is evidence, and it is a drug that could make a huge difference in what's a devastating disease. The drug is called aducanumab. Right name for drug, aducanumab. Uh, It's made by a company called Biogen, and I'm going to explain all about that drug and what difference it may make. It's certainly giving us a bit of hope, let's put it that way, because it is approved now, and let's see if it works. It's strange, because they're going to see if it works now when it's in the in the world, as it were. The trials were a bit plus minus, but now they're going to say, let's let's give people a shot. One reason it was approved actually was patient groups were advocating for this because they want treatments. And even if you were said, look, this drug may not work, do you still want to take it? If you're diagnosed with Alzheimer's, you're probably going to say, yes, I'll give it a go. So that's part of the, the reason, I guess, why it was approved, but we can come back to that now. But let's talk about this disease because it is a very serious disease. Uh, it's devastating for so many people. Many labs work on it. My own lab has done work on Alzheimer's as well because as I explained it's partly inflammatory in the brain so hugely important area it is a progressive neurodegenerative disease characterized by memory loss that's how we define it and we all know what it is and we know sadly people who have it but the words are important progressive that means once it starts it progresses it's degenerative neurodegenerative means it now the brain is degenerating we know exactly which part of the brain degenerates it's called the hippocampus back to that in a moment and that's where your memories are stored so the part of the brain involved in memory is getting damaged by this disease you know and then memory loss because that's the key symptomology of this disease first characterized by alzheimer himself of course uh, and we know a lot about it but we still don't know an awful lot we do not know what causes it that's the first thing, which would be great to know what the reason for it is, because then you might stop it in its tracks. You see a few ideas, which I'll mention, but still, it's not really know what causes it. It's hard to predict its course. Some have a rapid form, some have a slow form, some have slightly different symptoms. There's a fair bit going on here that's a bit unknown. It always starts slowly and then gets worse and worse. And it begins with memory problems like recent events can't be remembered is a big sign. Uh, language problems, sometimes forgetting words. Uh, one of the other indicators early on is uh, disorientation. And people who sadly would have relations or whatever with Alzheimer's, they often go out and then they can't find their way home. It's very sad and they have to be found and so on. Uh, mood swings are a big one as well. And the mood swings are happening partly because of confusion and so on. So, And a strange feature, which is interesting, is older memories don't go. 
So it's almost as if the stuff you've laid down in your memory banks from your childhood and so on, they're often retained. It seems to be new memories can't form is one aspect of this. Now, obviously, it's a mix of the two because if you can't remember words or places and so on, they may be older memories are disappearing. But, but by and large, some of the older memories are retained. One fascinating one is musical stuff is often retained. We first see Henry unresponsive and almost unalive. Then he is given an iPod containing, we know, his favourite music. And immediately he, he lights up, his face assumes expression, his eyes open wide, and he's being animated by the music. Still remember songs they learned as children and sing them. You know, it's very strange. That part of the thing's okay. Uh, and then it, as it progresses, though, it gets more and more serious. People lack motivation, they don't do anything. Uh, they begin to neglect how they look, and self neglect is a key feature. And then, of course, that sort of symptomology will eventually sadly then make people really ill. Uh, people often die of things like pneumonia because they can't fight infections and their muscles aren't working properly and various things like that happen. And the average lifespan post-diagnosis is three to nine years. So it's a serious disease that will shorten life as well. So all that's known and, and that's been well documented, doctors could measure all those things and, and document them, you know, and describe all the symptoms and so on and so forth and, and how it develops. That's all well known, you know. Uh, but still, what's causing it has been the big question. Now, there is some genetics here and many diseases have a genetic component, which means if you carry versions of certain genes, it increases your risk of Alzheimer's. One is called APOE, that's the one that they worked on a lot, uh, and there are other ones as well. So there's some genetics in there, which I'll come back to, so that's something that might give us a clue, because obviously if we know what those genes are and what they do, and then we know what the broken version of the protein that's being made does, you might be able to correct that. And that's where this drug comes in, as we'll see. So in other words, genetics can be useful and some genes are being found. But we do know from all these clinical studies there are risk factors that increase your risk of Alzheimer's. Head injury is one for definite, and that damages the brain, and then that damage somehow might form a scar in the brain, and the scar can't resolve, and as you get older then, that scar becomes an issue. There's one idea, I use the word scar in a general sense. Uh, clinical depression is a risk factor, so people who have had depression are at a higher risk of Alzheimer's. High blood pressure is one as well, that's become clear, and this is one reason why you should try to control your blood pressure because if you have high blood pressure that increases your risk and these are well known to increase risk of Alzheimer's um, and, and people wonder what that would be clearly with the head injury one it's probably to do with damage anyway and then that damage of the disease then impacts and then you're at a higher risk I guess the main diagnosis of course is just cognitive testing you can test memory in various ways there is a way to image the brain as well and things called plaques form in the hippocampus, this part of the brain I mentioned, you can image those, uh, and those plaques are kind of a diagnostic as well, and they're used a bit too. So there's various ways of diagnosing it. There could be other reasons for memory loss, you see, that isn't Alzheimer's, and then it mightn't progress if it's a different type. So, so it's important to be able to diagnose it. Now, of course, a lot of studies are also showing you can decrease risk. You may be able to lower your risk of Alzheimer's disease by making certain choices at mealtime. You control blood pressure is one. Nutrition is important. Certain diets can increase risk, so therefore having a good balanced diet is important. Let's start off with what we should avoid. <laughs> Saturated fat, that's the fats in meats and in dairy products. Number two, the trans fats, donuts, pastries. And the physical activity as you get older is a protector as well. Researchers have shown that even 30 to 40 minutes of exercise, brisk walk, three times a week, actually changes the brain physically. The part of the brain called the hippocampus that's essential for memory pumps up a little bit. It immeasurably increases over time. 
and that counteracts the brain shrinkage that most people have. And a really and important one is social engagement. So if you keep your social life going, that keeps the brain going. Now, when we socialize, our brains are buzzing. And in fact, lots of studies have shown this. Uh, if you're in a social situation, your brain has to work hard. You're trying to figure out who is this person? What am I going to say to them? Trying to have a conversation and use all your social skills. That's a really good way to exercise the brain. And like anything, if you keep the brain exercised, it might ward off this disease. It's a bit like how exercise keeps your heart going as well. It's actually quite similar in a way. Because exercise keeps the heart healthy. Social activity keeps the brain healthy in this way. And another interesting part of this is people who are inclined to, say, do puzzles and keep their brain active by reading stuff and learning new things. Again, that's flexing the brain muscle and keeping it healthy and keeping it going. So all those things can be very can be a protective thing as well. Now, it's a very common disease. That's our next concern. Millions of people have it. And it's inclined to start when you're over 65. Uh, and, but there are early onset forms as well. Uh, very importantly as well. So, so you know, it, it can be any age, but it does correlate with ageing, as we know. Uh, 6% of over 65s will have Alzheimer's. That's a lot of people. Huge burden on everybody, the relatives especially, of course. It's a hugely difficult disease for if you're a relative of someone. And then, of course, it's a massive economic burden because an awful lot of care is needed. And the health service in America, it's costing $200 billion a year to treat people as best they can with Alzheimer's and all kinds of ways of treating them, you see. So, so, in other words, if we found a way to treat it or stop it in its tracks, you would save all that money, at least spend less money, because there will be a cost, of course, with the treatments. But ultimately, it could save a huge amount of money. And then, of course, the burden that's so awful for people uh, would begin to be relieved if we got new treatments. Now, let's dig in a bit. What's going on? The hippocampus, that was spotted as the key place. You could see these. the hippocampus was changing, especially in post-mortem. Samples, Alzheimer himself actually was looking at brains of people that had the disease and they noticed these things called plaques. Now the word plaque means a kind of a damaged piece of tissue really. You can get plaques in your heart for instance, it's kind of a general term for saying the tissue looks a bit different. There could be clumps of things and different markers of this. And they see these plaques, the biochemists get involved, God bless the biochemists, and they say what's in that plaque? And there's a protein called beta amyloid is in the plaque and a second protein called tau. So in other words, if you take an Alzheimer's brain and you look in the hippocampus, two proteins are being deposited in that part of the brain, beta amyloid and tau. And everybody has these things deposited there who have Alzheimer's. And that was a breakthrough because now we knew there was a physical difference. Two proteins seem to be forming clumps and they're clogging up the brain, if you like. And this part of the hippocampus, this part of the brain of the hippocampus, that's getting clogged up and now the memories begin to go. And those clumps become toxic and they begin to kill off the nerves. The neurons, which is what the brain is made of, are damaged by these proteins. So that was good because now we had a way to think about how this disease is happening. And then when they looked at genetics, that was supported by this because it turns out the gene for beta amyloid, APP, that can be different in Alzheimer's people, and especially the early onset ones. They've got a different gene from other people that makes the beta amyloid, and that form of beta amyloid is more likely to form plaques. Now, there's progress, because what that means is you've got a genetic difference in the beta amyloid gene. It's making a different protein, and that protein is inclined to form clumps more readily. So the genetic aspect then was clear. It's called AB to 42. That fragment begins to form. Now, 1% to 2% of people with Alzheimer's have that gene. So I can't explain all the diseases, all the, all the basis for everybody's disease. But it's interesting that because, you know, in some people you might have a gene that's making a broken 
beta amyloid, if you will, that forms these clumps. In other people, you're laying down more beta amyloid anyway. The normal stuff is clogging up the brain. You're making too much of it, maybe, for whatever reason, you see. so. But it all gives rise to the beta amyloid hypothesis that this disease is being caused by beta amyloid, very importantly. And then the other thing they found is the other genes. Uh, there's a gene called APOE epsilon 4. Between 40 and 80% of people, depending on who you look at, have that gene, that variant in the APOE gene. If you carry that, it increases your risk of Alzheimer's 15-fold, which is very significant. Now, importantly, that seems to be tied into beta amyloid in some way. They don't know exactly how. There's a few ideas there. Um, but certainly it's part of the whole same system in a way. And they're looking at why that particular type of APOE might promote beta amyloid clumping maybe is one idea they have there. Uh, but very importantly, and this just shows you, you can't get all the answers from this. Some populations have the APOE epsilon 4 and they don't develop Alzheimer's. So it's not as if this is determining. And another gene called TREM2, that's been found as well. And again, you can carry a variant there and that increases the risk. It's not determining either. That gives you three to five-fold increased risk if you carry this thing called TREM2. So it's complicated. And they're still trying to figure all this out, obviously. And we'd love to know why certain genetic variants are giving rise to disease. We'd love to know what's called the pathogenic mechanism there. It'd be really good to find out. So it must be, you might carry a gene that's different. You may have a normal gene that begins to misbehave and make too much of the protein. And it's the environment influence that's governing this as well. Otherwise, with those genes, everybody would have Alzheimer's. That's not the case. So again, it's, it's an environmental genetic interaction, as, as is the, the case with most genes. One last thing before I come on to the drug is it's clearly inflammatory. So the brain begins to sort of uh, realise as it were, that these clumps of proteins are building up and the immune system then goes in to hoover them up. The immune system, remember, is trying to clear the body of noxious things. That noxious thing could be a virus, it could be a bacteria, or it could be a clumped nasty protein that's building up. And the, and the macrophages of the cell type, big eaters, they go in and eat this stuff up. And our bodies are always building up with certain noxious things and macrophages clear them. The brain have their own troops for this, they're called microglial cells and the big evidence for them here, by the way, and they go in and try to clear this stuff. But the trouble is they get overwhelmed and they can't clear enough and they get really frustrated. And we use that word, actually. It's called frustrated phagocytosis. And these cells are trying to hoover, basically gets clogged with this stuff and now explodes. And that's very damaging. And all that exploded material causes this massive inflammation in the brain and actually might kill the neurons. So you can imagine for a minute using my Hoover analogy. Let's imagine the beta amyloid is clogging up your hallway. The Hoover goes in to try to clear it. It tries to, gets overheated, explodes and destroys the hallway. That's the hippocampus being destroyed by the explosion. So a lot of work is going into understanding microglial cells and macrophages. Microglial are a type of macrophage in truth. And th what we found in my lab was a very important protein called NLRP3 is the sensor in the microglial cells and in the macrophage that senses the stuff that's in the hoover, if you will, and that's the thing that becomes overactivated. Other labs had shown that, but we found a drug to block NLRP3. And amazingly, with Marina Lynch and Trinity in her lab, who works on Alzheimer's, she could show that the drug we had found is able to slow down Alzheimer's in mice. There's a mouse model of Alzheimer's, which was tremendous because that could suggest if you stop NLRP3, you'll stop the Hoover exploding and stop all the damage. Wouldn't that be tremendous? And then, you know, you'll stop, you know, the hippocampus being damaged. And our drug then has promise in Alzheimer's disease. We're very excited about that. And hopefully now we'll see the drug moving into clinical trials. We're waiting for the trials. Be tremendous, you know. So, so that's another angle on this, the inflammatory angle. But now... As you've been hearing me say, it is this beta amyloid thing. 
that seems to be very important. Or tau, that's the other protein, by the way, which also gets clogged. And they're the two we look at very closely. And another last little piece of evidence for you, though, that, that supports this, because remember, science tries to build up evidence for things. You can say something and get a piece of evidence. I only really believe things in science that there's three or four different lines of evidence, all independent. And then one is, they're all likely, the, the bottom line is likely to be true. There's always a risk of one piece of evidence being wrong, you see, so, or not being as good as the others. So, so in other words, if you have multiple lines of evidence, you're really good. Down syndrome, they have a high risk of Alzheimer's, uh, by the age of 40. Guess what? The beta amyloid gene is on chromosome 21 and Downs have an extra copy of that chromosome. They're making too much beta amyloid because they've got an extra dose of it, if you will. And again, that's more evidence that they could well be developing Downs because they're making too much beta amyloid because they've got an extra copy of the gene for it, you see. So again, that gives us more more power in terms of saying beta amyloid is the key thing. Now, all of that um, gave rise to the notion, can we target beta amyloid? And that's what's happening. Now, if you're diagnosed with Alzheimer's now, there are one or two drugs they can give you. You can, you can give a drug that changes the levels of a neurotransmitter called acetylcholine, for instance, and that those neurons are being destroyed and they can't make acetylcholine. You, get, you, you sustain acetylcholine levels with a, with a drug that can benefit a little bit. And these work a tiny bit. They kind of slow it down slightly. But there isn't great treatments, as we know, and it will progress. What about this drug? Well... Given all that evidence of the beta amyloid hypothesis, companies said, let's try to develop drugs to clear the brain of beta amyloid. In other words, let's soup up the clearance mechanism if we can and don't overheat the thing. You see, like the macrophage, we could overheat it, as I mentioned. And they used antibodies and they made antibodies to this uh, beta amyloid. And aducanumab is an antibody to beta amyloid. And uh, they tried it and it began to work in mice, first of all. These antibodies will latch onto the beta amyloid and they'll help the immune system clear it as if it's a virus, remember. So the antibodies, as we know, are very good at fighting viruses. These antibodies are helping the body clear beta amyloid. And it worked in mice tremendously well. All the evidence said, great, let's give patients beta amyloid. And Biogen, the company, did two massive phase three trials. These are big trials. They're very long trials. They're very expensive to run because you've got to recruit all these Alzheimer's patients and measure them and monitor them and all kinds of things. You've got to make the drug as well, which has a cost when you're developing a new drug. And they ran two big trials. And disappointingly, the first trial failed. They didn't show any slowing down of disease. And they were devastated by this, obviously. They ran a second big trial. And then, because they they, there was a kind of a hint thing going on, let's keep going. And now they dug into the data and they have seen a signal in the trial. They saw that people who were given the high, the different doses of the antibody, often in clinical trials you try different doses of the medicine, high dose, early treatment, they noticed it did seem to slow down the disease, which was great, by, by as much as 23%, which is a good effect in your slowing down the disease progression. Now, the trouble is, it, it, overall, it didn't seem to work, and they had to go into the data a bit and look at it a bit more closely, but they believe there is a signal, we call this, by the way. Very importantly, they definitely showed the drug could clear the beta amyloid. They could image that in the brain, you see. And that was great because it is clearing the stuff. So surely the clearing of it will have an effect. So now they then submitted this to the FDA in America and the FDA approved it, even though the data wasn't, you know, gold-plated, brilliant data. 
that was a sign of something going on. And doctors said we need it for our patients. As I said, patient organisations got involved. So, so in other words, uh, the pressure was on. Some people have resigned from the FDA committee because they felt, look, hang on a minute, we, we've, we're now breaching our gold standard approach to these things. And they weren't happy with that. You know, so it's controversial. Uh, but now the drug is approved. And what will happen now is that, and, and the FDA have said this, we're still not fully convinced. We need what's called phase four data, which means we now run it in the clinic and in people out in the wild, as it were. And we want evidence from that phase four. If they don't get the evidence, they'll withdraw the approval. So it's kind of a semi-sensible thing to do, I guess. But still, there's a bit of unease because the data wasn't brilliant. But still, let's see what happens next. And of course, what, what it means is two other companies, lots of other companies were developing these approaches. Lily was one. Their trials weren't great either. But now they're being given encouragement to, um, to, to pursue this further. It looks as if if you get the drug in at the right time, in a certain subset of patients, you may see an effect. So it's a new chapter, what they're calling it actually in Alzheimer's research, because now there's a way to see if this is going to work or not. And it's, there's lots of promise. And obviously for people with Alzheimer's and newly diagnosed and all that kind of thing. And, and remember that we will see a big increase in Alzheimer's as the, as the population ages. If this does prove to have beneficial effects, it will be tremendous, because it means that as many as one in four then will be helped by this and that's the start let's see it's a bit like fingertips on a cliff face in many ways there's another final issue on pricing they're looking for $56,000 per year per patient that's expensive for a drug that may not work so that's the next thing and of course they can justify the price in various ways because of the health economic costs if you don't treat and the cost of development and all kinds of things but still it's out in, it's out in the world now and we all wish it well of course we do let's hope this drug does make a difference to patients and certainly the focus on Alzheimer's will increase now and the prospects have to be seen as good that all this biology I've mentioned all these insights that I've given you could give rise to new treatments that will slow down this devastating disease and benefit patients in so many ways so there you have it the big breakthrough this new drug first one in 20 years for Alzheimer's let's watch closely what happens next so thanks very much for listening Um, you can download my podcast every Thursday and it's a News Talk production and thank you very much. Show me the science with Professor Luke O'Neill. Proudly sponsored by B. Braun. Saluting our frontline heroes for their outstanding commitment to the health of the nation. 